today's uh, Tisha B'Av uh, program is really being sponsored in memory of my dear father-in-law and mother-in-law, Max and Bill Karlinski, who were wonderful uh, people. My father-in-law was born in Lita and my mother-in-law in Poland, and they both made it to the United States before the miserable World War, War II. And they were able in their own ways to keep, uh, to be Torah observant and to actually settle in Los Angeles, which was a literal virtual desert you know, from a Jewish point of view. No, none of the 100 glot restaurants were there at that time. And, um, and they were really stalwart supporters of Torah and Torah learning and Torah education and Torah observance. And um, in the end, after they retired, they actually came to live in Israel and they were Zionists all their lives. And they were, they were, they would be very, uh, they're very happy to know that we're relating to this day in the way that we are here. So in memory of Max and Bell Karlinski, we're uh, sponsoring this Yomi. Okay, so we have a, a, a slightly unusual, it's not unique by any means, but slightly unusual situation this year that Tisha was yesterday. So um, yesterday, of course, was Shabbos, so Tisha was made on Sunday, it's a Sarabav. Um, and the question is, just to give us a little bit of a background on that, is today really to Shabbat or is it not really to Shabbat? Uh, so there are two ways to look at it. Either you could say that when, um, when Zechariah talks about the four fasts and when the rabbis of the second temple period established these fasts or during the Chorban after the first temple, they didn't give a specific date. They just called this fast, that's Somach the fast of the fifth month. It could be on whatever day of the fifth month is appropriate for that year. Um, Chazal fixed the, the day, the fast on the ninth above. Uh, but even in the Gemara, uh, Rabbi Yochanan says that, say, if it were up to me, which it's not because he lived a few generations later, but if it would have been up to me, I would have put the fast on the tenth above. Because the tenth above <laughs> is uh, the day that the, the, the temple, the base of Mikdash actually burns to the ground. The ninth above is what's called Atchalta de Pranisa. The ninth above was the beginning. The tenth above was uh, when all the uh, all the worst things happened, and therefore, says Rabbi Yochanan, I would have put it on the 9th, 10th, but it was on the 9th, but this year it's on the 10th, so today is the fast of Av, in that sense, today is Tisha B'Av, uh, not 9th, but it is the, is the fast of Av in all its, uh, in, in, in all its set, in every sense. On the other hand, you could turn around and say, no, the Chazal established the 9th of Av as the, as the fast, and therefore yesterday was really Tisha B'Av, and today is a kind of a makeup day. Today is a day where we pushed off for a day and therefore there are leniencies. It's not really Tisha B'Av, it's kind of day after. And there are different implications the halacha as to wait as, as how you see that. Um, but uh, the, the, the Ashkenazim tend to say that yesterday was uh, the 9th of Av, as it was. And that today is, if you like, the Tashlumim. But just so that you're aware, the 10th of Av itself is, uh, is still very much uh, in the thinking of the, uh, of the way that the month was set up, very much the fast of Av may even been uh, the day which was uh, was most appropriate to have the fast. So that's the first just thought in terms of trying to understand the tenth of Av and what's going on this year. Um, a second thought as an introduction uh, is the Tisha B'Av has an unusual com combination of halachic and hashkafic implications. On the one hand, it is a day of avilut. On the other hand, it is a day of tshuva. And those things don't normally go together. Chazal contrast Avelut Chadasha. If somebody, God forbid, loses a very close relative, one of the seven relatives, parents, God forbid, children, whoever it is, siblings, spouse, then they have Avelut Chadasha. That is a raw, new morning. There is no sense of tshuva. That is not a day of tshuva. We don't talk about, well, what have we done wrong? On the contrary, the whole book of Eov. Is, is dedicated to the fact that his uh, so-called friends were wrong for trying to focus on his sins and, and other sins on that and the tragedy. 
a day of avelut chadasha is just a numb raw day. Whereas a day of avelut yeshana, which is an old avelut, uh, is is a mixture of different things. And and I, I had a thought this year, um, which is obvious, but you know when you think about things which are obvious, you wonder why you never thought of it before. And if it's so obvious, is it right? Um, that um, in terms of the way that avelut chadasha works, if someone God forbid loses a relative. The, 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 the most intense avilut is at the beginning, before the burial, and then after the burial is aninut, before the burial, avilut after the burial, and then it's gradually, gradually eases off. There's the Bikr Shiva, there's the beginning of the Shiva, there's the Shiva, there's the Shloshim, there's the, the whole year for a parent. Gradually, it, it tapers out, it gets less. Whereas the avilut of Al is the opposite. You start off with uh, some light restrictions and then Mishinit Av. Martin Basimcha, and then you have the week of Tishabav, and then you have Erev Tishabav, and you have Tishabav itself. Why are we making the morning of Tishabav more and more and more intense? And why are we, uh, on the contrary, making the, the old, uh, the Avelut the, 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 the of, of a person's morning less and less intense? And, and I think the answer is because the purpose of an Avelut Chadashah, the purpose of a person who is, God forbid, lost a relative, is to help them to realize that they have to just accept it. There is no hope of changing the situation. A person is in denial. How can this person have died? How can that be? And the whole process of Avelut is allowing them to gradually assimilate the reality that there, will, there is nothing that I can do to change this. Life will have to go on. I will have to get used to this. And therefore, it, it tapers off. Whereas the Avelut of Av is exactly the opposite. Because the Vailuta Tisha B'Av is not an acceptance that there's nothing I can do to change it. On the contrary, it's that I actually can fix it. In a sense, the Avelut of Tisha B'Av is like a regular Avelut except played backward. People talk about this at the end of Yom Kippur. Like on Yom Kippur, at the end of Yom Kippur, we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokim, if you like going backwards from death back into life. So in a sense, Tisha B'Av and Avilut is the same thing. We, we're going backwards from the light of Avilut to the moment of death, which is today, which is the, the mates mutal of Anav, that the, the, today's Tisha B'Av is like the, the dead bodies before us. But the point is we're going back into life. That's the point. We're going backwards because there is something we can do to fix it. And that's why there are all these themes. There are themes in the in the, uh, uh, in the Haft Torah. There are themes in the Laning. There are themes in Eicha, Hashivenu Hashem, Alecha, Vanashuva. Eicha ends with the moment of Tshuva. Because the whole point of the tshuva of the, the, the Avelus of Tisha is to realize that this is not the end. This is not the, uh, we do not have to get used to this. On the contrary, we should not get used to it. We can fix it and we can bring the dead back to life. That's the point. It's the opposite theme. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. There are these ideas that Mashiach is born on Tisha thematically. It's the same idea. It's a day of hope. It's a day of tshuva. It's a day where we can actually reverse the process of death and bring it back to a Tchiyatam for the Jewish people. So I want to talk about a few of those uh, issues. I've called the Shia the dangers of Machlokas Shem Shamayim, because uh, the Netziv, we'll see the Netziv feature strongly in the Shia, talks a lot about this, right? Yehuda Berlin. And uh, you were going to think to yourself, well, Machlokas Shem Shamayim, that's the good Machlokas, right? That's the one that you're allowed to do. That's the one that you're meant to do. Well, actually, it's not so straightforward. Machlokas Shem Shamayim, might be in some ways the most dangerous of all machlokas, and we'll see how that works through the ship. So let's start with just a, a, an idea about uh, one of the main historical focuses of the day and how history for us is not just what it is for other people. So let's start with source number one. Um, this is a well-known source, but it, we need to review it and revisit it. Number one, there were five things that happened on this day, and this was in the time of the Mishnah. Since the Mishnah, there have been many more things that have happened on this day. This was the day of, uh, of the Maraglim, of the Chet of the Maraglim. We were, we were told that we would not achieve that, which was the whole purpose of Yitzhak Mitzrayim was going to be taken from us, and we weren't going to get to Israel until the next generation. The first and second temples were destroyed. The Nilka da Beitar, the Beitar, the city of Beitar, which was the last holdout of uh, the Bar Kochbe revolt, the, the city fell, and uh, the Yerushalayim was plowed over, and the, um, and the Mishnah says here, Mishenichnas av, Mematin, Besimcha. 
We tend to be more into Mishenichnas Adar Marvin the Simcha. There's a tune for that one, um, but actually, that's not what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says Mishenichnas Av Mamatim the Simcha, and and therefore the focus here is on on reducing Simcha and increasing Avelut, but with a different focus, as we said. Um, the idea of um, of the uh, of the relevance of the ability of our generation to to be part of this is brought out in the Yerushalmi number two, which is less well-known, at least at the beginning. Shalowetz Rebbe Eliezer, they asked Rebbe Eliezer, Dorot Achronim Kesherim Minam Has there been any improvement since the bad old days of the Chorban? Are we, are we doing any better? They asked him. So uh, they, uh, they got a very sharp response. Amal Enzer, Rebbe Eliezer turned around to them and says, hey, you've, got, you've got to be kidding. Your, your witness, the testimony, the answer to this is Bechira, is the temple itself. Look at what it says about the temple. Avoisenu, He's living in the generation just after the second Chorban. Our, our ancestors, back in the days of the first base of English, they blew off the roof, as it were. They destroyed the roof, brings the Pazak in Yeshaya, revealed the Masach. They just took off the top of the base of English. But we, and he says we, interesting, because he's talking to people who lived after the destruction of the second temple. We, we blew out the walls, the Ketalim. We blew out the walls of the base of English. We destroyed the whole thing. And he brings a positive into Hillem or Rim Aru Aru the Yusodba, how Edom, how Rome destroyed to the very foundations. And that's why the Mishnah Gemara here, Shami goes on to say, Amru, therefore, that's why they said, he's telling the people, call Malin Alav Any generation, any generation which doesn't merit to see the built is like the generation that destroyed it themselves. So this is a, a clear indicator that whatever is, is, is went wrong is still going wrong. If we don't have a better Midash, then there must be something that uh, we are still doing wrong. Um, and therefore, we have to bring that historical awareness into the present. That's the whole point. We'll, we'll end at the end with, a, with another focus on the present in the other direction. But I brought you a little piece from Rabbi Sachs that I've brought many times uh, before um, on, uh, on Tisha B'Av. Uh, so Rabbi Sachs, Seyfeli Prophet, says... Uh, the following, number three. There is though one form of outsourcing that tends to be little noticed, the outsourcing of memory. Our computers and smartphones have developed larger and larger memories from kilobytes to megabytes to gigabytes, or now say terabytes also, okay? While our memories and those of our children have got smaller and smaller. In fact, why bother to remember anything these days if you can look it up in a microsecond on Google or Wikipedia? But here I think we make a mistake. We confuse history and memory, which are not the same thing at all. History is an answer to the question, what happened? Memory is an answer to the question, who am I? History is about facts. Memory is about identity. History is his story. It comes to someone else. It happened to someone else, not me. Memory is my story. The past that made me who I am, all of whose legacy I am the guardian for the sake of generations yet to come. Without memory, there is no identity. And without identity, we are mere dust on the surface of infinity. And this, as he says it always in the way that he says it so well, this is the purpose of the focus on history. Today is a day of focusing on Jewish history. What happened? How did it happen? When did it happen? Who did it happen to? How did they manage from, from the Khurban through the Crusades, the Holocaust, things that have happened up to this day. I was just driving in just now. There was a, on uh, Kalmoreshed, they were talking about Kalmoreshed about the destruction of the communities in Ukraine. Now, in the last months of how that has been displaced, etc., there is a Khurban that we learn about. Um, and uh, the point here is not just to focus on what happened. It's to focus on how does this affect who am I? Uh, my, my identity is, is, is created through the historical context. Um, the laning today was very much about that. The laning today said, look back at Sinai. Has anything happened like that to any other people any other time? That's from Dvarim. So again, when I look back at Sinai, I'm not looking back, oh, that's an interesting historical effect, you know, event that happened a long time ago in ancient Near Eastern history. Sinai creates our identity today. That's the point. What happened then creates our identity today. That's true of Sinai, which was in the laning for Tishvab today. That's for sure true of Hurban. It creates um, an identity that we have. And of course, you know, the lines which are very famous from George Santanaya, um, those who cannot Santayana, uh, excuse me, those who cannot remember the past, remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We know this and we see this. Um, uh, Rabbi Wine 
uh, says has a has a lot of good one-liners. If anyone knows Rabbi Barrel Wine, um, and uh, you can still meet him. He's a Baruch Hashem. You know, he's may have Eshem Shana, but he's still going strong. Um, uh, he says there are two constants in Jewish history. Uh, one constant is that history repeats itself, and the second constant is that every generation says, "Yes, that was true up until now, but it'll be different this time." <laughs> that, that that's 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 they are the the constants in Jewish history. This couldn't happen again. It couldn't happen to us. It couldn't happen in dot, dot, dot. Um, and therefore, in this sense, the, the focus on history and what went wrong is very much a part of you forming a, an identity. Uh, and it's not historical. It's very much real and very much in the present. Okay. What is the sickness? So the sickness, and again, it's not just the rabbis that focus on this. Look in the, look in the Haftorah of Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu talks, it's, it's the most dirge-like, negative Haftorah you could imagine. There is no light, it's just darkness, destruction. At the end, he talks about chesed, tzedek, mishpat. Actually, it's all about how we treat each other, how we deal with each other, how we talk to each other. He doesn't say, he doesn't say at the end, and it's all about how we didn't eat, eat under the best, best hachsherim we could have eaten under. Of course, it's important to eat, you know, responsibly and to keep kosher in the best, uh, most appropriate way you can. But that's not what uh, Yirmiyahu focuses on. He focuses on chesed, tzedek, or mishpat. Uh, and therefore, it, it seems that the Nevi'im and Chazal and we too uh, understand that there was a uh, there was an interpersonal root of the sickness, which I want to bring out. And this is, I think, part of the biggest problem, because the two words which are most repeated and you'll think, oh, gosh, I've heard this a million times before, are sinat chinam. These are the two words which are most repeated and every time mistranslated, which just perpetuates the problem, which we'll see in a minute. Have a look in number five. Mikdash Rishon says, Chazan and Mikdash Rishon, why was the first temple destroyed? There were three things going on at the time of the destruction of the first temple. Avodah Zara, people were, uh, were doing idol worship. Giloy Arias, people were involved in sexual immoralities of all types. Ushvichas Damim, and people were killing each other. It was murder. Mikdash Shaining, Shahayu Oiskin, the Torah, mitzvahs for the second Mikdash, which people were learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. They were from a Yidden. Ugmilus Chasadim, and they were doing chesed for people. So why was it destroyed? Says the Gemara, because there was sinas chinim, which I won't translate yet. This tells you, even at the time of Chazal, when the, the, the second temple had only been destroyed for a hundred or so years, maybe they thought that the, the, the Galut would only last 150 years, 200 years, okay, it was longer than the first. We look back 2,000 years later, they were already saying these three Averas of murder, idol worship, and idolatry clearly were equivalent. Sinat Chinam was equivalent to all of them. And again, So, okay, all this is well known. Um, but what does it mean that at the, the time of the Second Temple, they were, they were doing chesed? They were keeping mitzvahs. They were killing each other. They were killing each other in the, in the Second Temple. Like the first, why was, why, was also murder? Why was it so much worse that there was murder together with Sinas Chinam? Okay, people murder each other. I mean, the person's dead either way. Why, why does it matter if somebody murders someone for this reason or someone murders someone for that reason? It matters a lot, it seems. Have a look at some of the, the uh, setting for this. Number six. Says the Gemara Gittin. They were zealots. They were Jewish freedom fighters, people who were trying to fight the Romans. The rabbi said to this at the end of the second temple. Let's go make peace with the Romans. You, it's a fight you can't win. What's the point of fighting? You have to, you, have to, you know, uh, reach an agreement and live to fight another day. Today you can't win. They didn't listen to them. They wouldn't listen to the rabbis. They said to them, They said, no, let us go and fight the Romans. We have to defend Israel. The rabbi said to them, Loy Milsa. It is a it is a hopeless cause. You cannot win against the Roman army. What are you thinking? A bunch of rebels. You're going to win against Rome? So they accept, they realize that the rabbis were right. They're never going to win against Rome. How are the people going to fight against Rome? So they did perhaps one of the worst things of all. They set fire to the grain storage, to the stores of grain in the old city. Okay. And there was a famine, meaning 
the, the, uh, the, the zealots, the Jewish zealots burned the food that the Jewish people had stored. They could have withheld, you know, withheld against the Romans. They could have been in a siege for years. They had enough food store. So the, the Jewish freedom fighters burned the food so that the people would have nothing to lose. They realized the people who fight are the people with nothing to lose. And they gave them nothing to lose because they took everything else away from them in the cause of fighting for Jewish freedom. They killed Jewish people. Um, and this was because of that inner machlokas, which will be fine and will be fine. We'll come to this all as we go through. Let's look at a, a lesson and source in, in Maseches Derech Eretz. There is one of the one of what they call the minor tractates. That's because they're small. It's not because they're not important. One of the the smaller tractates of the of the Talmud, Maseches Derech Eretz. You see, it says in number seven. Hi, Rabbi Eliezer Kappa. Rabbi Eliezer Kappa said. Eliezer Kappa said as follows: Avu says Shalom. You must always love Shalom. Try and make peace. Vasano is a machlokas, and you must always reject machlokas. Never have machlokas. God has Shalom Shalfilu b'Shashi Israel over the Mavoda Zara. How great is Shalom that even when the Jewish people were doing Avodah Zarah, yes, Shalom Beinehem, they still were united. I'm a Kodesh Baruch and at that point of the first temple, God said, I really don't want to touch them. But one second, they're involved in the most disgraceful, disgusting Avodah Zarah, Gilo Yorais, I really don't want to touch them. Shnei Posikin Hoshea, Chavur Atzabim Ephraim, Ephraim is addicted. They're addicted to Avodah Zarah. Hanachlois, leave them, leave them, leave them, I mean, they're addicted, never. God's saying about the Jewish people, what can I do? But at least they're united. They're just addicted to this. It's not really their fault in that sense. What does it say about machlokas? Libam. Their, uh, their hearts are divided. Now they are guilty. Now that there's nothing to say about them. There's no, there's no way to, to justify saving them. And the, and the Gemara ends here. How important, how great is Shalom and how terrible is machlokas? Ketzer, how does that work? If there's machlokas in a city, the city will be destroyed. The rabbi said, if there's machlokas in the city, it'll end up with murder. If there's a community, if there's a Jewish community, which there's machlokas. I can't even imagine such a thing could exist. A Jewish community in which there is machlokas in the shul. The shul will destroy itself. It will not survive. It cannot survive. A home in which there is machlokas, it will be destroyed. If there's two different batidinim, two different uh, courts, Jewish courts, which are arguing with each other, in the same town, and they're creating division in the people, everything else, it will die. People, the people, it will just all end badly. The Jewish people um, uh, are, are, are unfortunately. Uh, prone to machlokas. We'll talk about that as we go through. But machlokas is the thing that ultimately destroys in a way which is far more fundamental than, than anything else, as we'll see, we'll see in a minute. Um, the Gemara Yushami number eight. Dorish el David, Kulam Sadiqim have the same idea as we saw with the Korban. The Dor of David, the generation of David, they were all Sadiqim. They were great people, they were high level people. But they had informers. They had uh, they had bad apples in the in the bunch, if you like. Have a yotzim Therefore, when they went out to fight wars, people died. They lost the battles. But the door of Achav. Now you can't pick anybody more antithetical to Jewish values than Achav in Izevel. Everything you can do wrong, they did wrong and they enjoyed it. Okay, Achav. They were not just, but they were also idolaters. But they didn't have informers. They used to go out to fight in battles and they used to win. The Jewish people's unity saved them in battles, even when the people themselves were in, mired in the worst form of, uh, of, 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 of Avodah you could possibly imagine. Uh, and therefore, the first thing we have to understand is this issue of machlokas, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, just before we get to that, maybe I'll mention a mitzvah that you need to also be aware of. Which is Loitis Kodidu. Um, there's a posse in the Torah number nine. You are all children of God. Do not Loitis Kodidu. Loitis Kodidu on a pshat level means don't mark, don't don't um, harm yourself, scratch yourself, don't self harm in grief. So the rabbis picked up on the word Loitis Kodidu and they said Lotasu number ten Agudot Agudot. Loitis Kodidu means don't make factions. 
factionalization within Judaism. Agudah, this Agudah versus that Agudah. So what are the rabbis doing here? They're just playing with words. Lots of Kodah do is don't scratch yourself. It doesn't mean don't form into factions. So I can't remember where I heard this, but you probably know where it's written, but I've, I've heard it many times. Loisis Kodah is related to the idea of self-harm and creating factions because it's 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 the lack of realization that Jewish people are all one body. Let's say you lift up a hammer with your right hand and you're hammering a nail and you hit the left hand and you bang your hand with a hammer. So what do you do? You have your left hand picks up the hammer and smacks the right hand and says, what do you think you're doing? I'm going to get you back. You hit me, I'll hit you. What are you doing? You're all one body. You're just harming yourself. So to the Jewish people, it's like the idea of scratching one's own body because, because of one's desperation. What are you doing? You're just harming yourself even more. So the Jewish people, when they hit themselves, when they form factions within the Jewish people, it's just the same idea. It's self-harm. They're just harming the guf echad of the Jewish body. Uh, and that's that's a separate mitzvah, independent of the mitzvah of which we're going to get onto right now. We're going to understand what is sinas chinam and how does that work. So... Let's have a look at Machlokas. There is a mitzvah in the Torah not to be like Korach. Okay, Korach had a Machlokas um, with Moshe, we'll see also with his own people. And uh, after there is a, a commandment, after the people died, after the, the, uh, the 250 B'nai Ruvim were burnt up um, by the fire that came from Shemaim. So uh, God tells Elazar El- El- Cohen to go and use the, the uh, pans and, and coat the Mitzvah with them. And then the end of that Pasuk in bold here in number 11, it says... And you mustn't be like Korach and his band of men. You mustn't be like Korach and the Mephoshea, the Moneha Mitzvot, those who count the 613 mitzvot, many of them. Here I brought you the smack in number 12, says this is one of the 613 mitzvot. He brings number 12. Don't encourage, don't Continue machloket. Don't be a bal machlokit. Don't be someone who divides the people. Be someone who joins the people, connects the people. Never involve yourself in machlokas. And, the, and the, the, the rabbis talk about this in many places. They talk about uh, again with Korach when Moshe goes to meet Dasan and Aviram, number 13. This shows you how much you have to do to avoid machlokas. He's going to meet them. Why should he go to meet them? They should come to meet him. No. He goes out of his way. I'll go to meet them. I'll try and avoid machlokas. If you if you if you continue, if you encourage machlokas, you are breaking a Torah mitzvah. Um, you're not allowed to be like Korach and his band of men and other people. I brought the Shari Tshuva says the same thing. The, the, this is one of the six thirteen mitzvot. And by the way, this is brought down in the Shulchan Aruch as one of the things. Of course, if your parents tell you to do an avera then you do not have a mitzvah of kibbutz aim to the parents for to do that thing. Um, your parents can't tell you, turn the lights on on Shabbos or eat this piece of non-kosher meat. So too, says the Shulchan your parents can't tell you, keep this machlokas going. We've been in a machlokas with our cousins since 1936. Yeah, but what's, again, but I was born, you'll say, in, you know, 2000 and whatever, 1990, why should I care? Oh, you don't remember what your great uncle Harry did to your grandfather back in the day. You know, the Shulchan Aruch says, just because your parents want to continue Machlokas, you, you can't listen to that. Now, again, you have to do it subtly, you have to do it, you know, with, with consideration. You can't run up to the relatives, your parents don't speak to them, hug them and kiss them in front of your parents. But you have to find a way to make peace. Uh, even if there is a family feud that is going through the generations, you have to be the generation that stops that, finds a way to, uh, to, to avoid that. Okay, fine. Machlokas. Bad thing. You've seen how negative Machlokas is, how it destroys the Jewish people, how it, it, it brings blame to the Jewish people, even when they're involved in other veras and they don't have Machlokas, then um, they have less of a uh, of a destruction, as we saw in the battles, etc. But there is, of course, a good Machlokas. There's Machlokas L'Shem Shemaim. That's what I want to talk about. Machlokas L'Shem Shemaim. That's good, no? That's what the Torah wants us to do. Number 15. Kol Machlokas says Pirkei Kol Machlokas L'Shem Shemaim, Sofel Yizkayim. Or machlokas, which is l'shem shamayim, for the sake of heaven, that will endure. It has long-term kiyum. She'einu l'shem shamayim, machlokas, which is not l'shem shamayim, which is not for the sake of heaven. Ain't so for this guy. It will not endure. So the Gemara, the Mishnah says, Ezer, he, machlokas, who's l'shem shamayim? What is a machlokas for the sake of heaven? The machlokas, hello, the shamayim. You can't imagine, says the Pritya Avos, a better machlokas than the machlokas with Hillel Shamayim. That's l'shem shamayim. Which is not for the sake of heavens, 
That's the machlokus of Korach and his band of men. And some of them, of course, should bring up there. It doesn't say Korach and Moshe. It says even within his band, they were all arguing with each other. They all wanted power. They all were, they were vying with each other for who was going to be the leader. So even within the, the band of Korach, there was machlokus between them. Okay, but it seems that machlokus Shem Shamayim, Hillel and Shamay. It's a good thing, no? And the Rabbi Baratunuri explains why is machlokus Shem Shamayim a good thing. Number 60. The point of Machlok Hashem Shemaim is to reach truth, is to find, um, is to find out to, to the, the truth. It's about the ideas, it's about the concepts. And that lasts, that will never, uh, never stop. Because the rabbis told us constantly, by arguing with each other, we get to the truth. We like arguing. We don't want to just say, yes, that sounds right. When, when there's a way that we can refine the, the argument, we can, we can, we can get some close, something closer to the truth and, and test and, and challenge what people are saying. If they're not saying something that is right on the mark, we like that. We, the whole Gemara is full of that. Everything's full of that in Judaism. In the end, we, we reached a resolution with Hill, which is interesting because it's saying that that's Machlokas, uh, which will continue. But in fact, we reached a resolution, but it was a happy resolution. We followed a Baskol. Okay, it's not so straightforward. We don't listen to a Baskol usually. I'm not getting into that now. Machlokas is not for the sake of heaven. Says the Baratunura, the, the, the purpose of Machlokas at the end of the day is not about ideas, it's about people, it's about personalities. Sarara, it's about control and power. It's about victory. I want to beat you. I'm not interested in the truth. I need my side. It's like color wars, but, but worse. I, we need to be you because we're against you. And that will never ultimately continue. I mean, meaning the personal machlokus will only last as long as the people. The next generation will make up their own personal machlokus, but the old machlokus, um, uh, machlokus, uh, it does not continue. I remember when I was a kid, all, you know, this one didn't talk to this one and this one didn't talk to that one and that one didn't. You know, all the grandparents' generations, all the stuff going on, the different people. And now, you know something, nobody talks to anybody now because they're all, they're all under the ground and it's all quiet and there's no machlokas and, uh, and uh, I don't know what's happening in Shamayim. I hope they've worked it all out. Okay, fine. Ultimately, Korach was looking for covered, Basrara and power. And what happened is the, the opposite. Um, so that's the difference. There's good machlokas, there's bad machlokas, like cholesterol, right? There's good and there's bad. You want more good machlokas, you want less bad machlokas. Okay. And it turns out actually that Hillel and Shammai sound like a good, um, a good example. If you look in number 17, they only disagreed. Shammai and Hillel only disagreed in three places. People often misquote this Gemara uh, and Mishnah Perkyavis and say, base Hillel and base Shammai. It doesn't say that. It says Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai. And Hillel and Shammai only disagreed in three places. Okay, that sounds good. They didn't disagree very much at all. However, at the end of the Second Temple period, Hillel and Shammai lived at the same time of Herod. This was the beginning of the end, if you like, of the, of the Second Temple. And uh, things seemed uh, okay. But things under the surface were not as uh, good as they seemed, even with Hillel and Shammah. Have a look at number 18. says the Gemara in Shabbos. Somebody who uh, is in the grape harvest. Shammai, Omrim Shammai says, that the juice coming out of the grapes uh, will make them susceptible to Tumah. That is, that juice is called liquid. And Hillel says, no, you don't have to worry when you're in the grape harvest. Even if some liquid oozes out of the grapes, the people don't have to be tahor. It won't make the grapes tummy. It's okay. Okay. So then Hillel asked a question to Shammai, apparently an innocent question. According to you, why are you allowed to with a grape harvest? Or why must you with a grape harvest have people who are tahor? Because the juice is going to be a problem. There ain't my skin batara, but when it comes to the olive harvest, you're, you don't mind. The olive juice apparently is not as bad. Why are you inconsistent? Why did you say that for the grape harvest, you have to have people who are tahor uh, because the juice makes a difference? And for the olive harvest, you didn't say. So Shammai says to him, I'm Allah in Taknitani. If you keep at me like this, if you keep getting at me like this, I'm going to make a gazera to even include the olive harvest. 
Meaning if you ask these kind of questions, okay, you're right, I'll be consistent. I'll tell you that the olive harvest, you also have to be tahor. Is that what you want? That I should make more humras for the olive harvest? Leave me alone. And then it says, they put a sword down in the Bet Midrash. Now, there shouldn't be swords in the Bet Midrash. The Bet Midrash are always called the Ballet Tracer. They're called the people who carry the shields. They're the shield bearers. They're not the sword bearers, if you like. But they, they put a sword, whether it's literal or metaphorical, in the Bet Midrash. For Amrun, they said, anyone who wants to come in can come in. But nobody's leaving. And on that day, Hillel was forced to be sub, 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 submit himself to Shammai. And, and he was made to sit. The, the Talmudim made Hillel sit in front of Shammai like he was one of the Talmudim. And that day was as, as, as difficult for the Jewish people as the day that they, they created the golden calf. Wow, that's, that's, that's quite something. That's Hillel and Shammai. And, and, and something is falling apart. Something is going wrong. There's a sword in the Bet Midrash that make Hillel sit there in a, in a situation which is not appropriate for his position. He was the Nasi. He was the president of the Jewish people. He shouldn't be sitting there like one of the Talmidim. What is going wrong? Why is this happening? We, even with Hillel and Shammai, really it's the Talmidim, if you like, the, uh, the, who, who become more, more extreme in this way. Have a look at number 19. In, uh, there's a discussion here in Shabbos, the beginning, lots of these halachot of Tuma and Tara. There the, the was, the, was quite famous on the Kashi'alu Levakro, there was a whole, um, a whole chapter almost of Gemara about new gezeras that they made, new um, stringencies that they made at the end of the Second Temple in areas of Tuma and Tara, in areas of uh, purity and impurity. They, they found that Be'i Shammai were in the majority. It's like they suddenly got a majority in the Congress or whatever it is. They found, usually Hillel was, the, but Hillel was the majority. Here they found Be'i Shammai was the majority and they thought, oh, we're going we're gonna to push through legislation today because who knows the next time we're going to get the majority for Be'i Shammai. Same idea. Different Gemara, same idea. That day was harsh to the Jewish people, like the day that they created the Abel. Why, why, why? What's wrong? Okay, so let Beishamai have their day. You know, they don't often get to be a majority. Let them be a majority for once. So I heard, I think this was from Rav Hesher but I can't guarantee it, um, that uh, the, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, the problem is this, the, 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 the second temple is coming to an end. The Jewish people are breaking apart. There is, there's a lot of trouble within the fabric of the nation themselves. And you want to make new gzeras, you want to take this opportunity to make new halachic stringencies on which area? Tumma and Tara. That's what the Jewish people need to be worried about right now. That's where the Jewish people are holding that, that you have to make stringencies in what is Tame and what is Tara and what is pure and what is impure. If almost kind of fiddling while, while Rome burns in the sense that that's not what the Jewish people need right now. Why is the Gemara saying here, the Tosefta, this, this was so harsh? For the Jewish people, that they they didn't need this. They didn't. It wasn't the right approach. There was a, there was something skewed in the way that they saw the priorities of the day, which comes out even more um, strikingly in number twenty. This is a quite well known, but nevertheless shocking Gemara. There were two Kohanim running up the ramp. Bless you. And the one they what they used to do is sometimes in order to decide who would have uh, the first uh, who who they start with with their bonus ayam they would run up the ramp and the, whoever got to the top of the ramp first he would be the cohen that wins and from him they would they would go on and give the uh, the avodah okay fine they were going up they were running up the camp and one of them managed to the one who was just behind came up within the dalit amas of the one who was in front. So he's you know, coming up around the bend to beat him in the race. What happened? Natal Sakin, so the one that was ahead, took out a knife, the Takabo and he thrust it in the chest of the one that was behind him in order to kill him so he wouldn't beat him up the ramp. Terrible enough. Ba'avishel Tinok, the father of the Tinok, well, it wasn't a Tinok, it wasn't a toddler. He was a young boy. He was a young Cohen. Maybe he was 14, 15, 16. He was a young, innocent kid. The kid who was just stabbed, his father ran up to his body. He found that he was still kind of twitching. He was in the last stages of life. He had a little bit of a breath of life still inside him. Amar and the father said, 
Harihu kaparatchem. This, my son, has brought a kapara on everybody. Why? The Adain Benima Parapa, Baruch Hashem, my son is still alive. The Lai Nikma Sakin, the knife is not Tame. Pulls the knife out of his chest before the boy dies and says, Baruch Hashem, we saved the knife. The knife is not Tame. Says the Gemara, Lalamdacha, this teaches us, Shekasha Alehim Taras Kalem, Yosem Mishkichistach. The, 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 the impurity of the, of the vessels in the temple was more important to them than murder in the temple itself. Something has gone very, very wrong uh, in the whole process. And the question is, what's gone wrong? So just uh, go over the page and let's have a look uh, in the last 15 minutes or so at what, at what went wrong. How this machlokas, the Shem Shammai between Hillel and Shammai can start, to, can start to crumble and then make Hillel sit in front of uh, Shammai, like one of the Talmudim, and then Shammai managed to get the majority, and they and they passed through all this legislation, which we see ties with that Gemara that they were more interested in the in the technical, being Adam Lamak on the technical issues of Tomantara, than they were they were uh, interested in and focused on the Bein Adam Lachaber. So I brought you two pieces here from the Nitziv. The Nitziv was the Rosh Hashiva of the Lashon in the uh, in mostly through most of the 19th century really 1840s 50s 60s 70s he himself was a student in probably came a rush in the, in the 50s 60s he was a student as a young boy that was uh, uh, writes a lot about his youth he was not a natural student he writes that he was a uh, he had to work very hard to achieve what other people seem to achieve uh, in in a, in a more brilliant way more quickly than him and uh, the famous stories he you know he heard that his parents were taking him out of yeshiva to put him in a trade because he wasn't succeeding and he begged them, he says, no, I want to persevere, I want to persevere, and he, and he managed to create, create for himself and make himself into one of the greatest Rosh Yeshiva, um, the Rosh Yeshiva of Volozhin, which is the mother of all Yeshivas, all the Yeshivas broke off from Volozhin, Mir and Ponovich and, and Brisk and uh, Slavodka and Navardok, etc., etc. So then it's Siv writes a commentary on the Chumash, and uh, I wanted to, I brought a, a little snippet from his commentary on the Chumash and also a little snippet from uh, his tubers where he talks about the same idea. Um, look at number 22. In the beginning of the Chumash, he writes a Hagdama, he writes an introduction to Precious, and he talks about the uh, Shirat Ha'azinu, where we say about God, Sadiq v'yasharhu. God is Sadiq, God is righteous, God is right, just, v'yashar, and God is straight. We, we, we accept what God does, that God does this, and it's in Pratsidkut, he does it. So look at what the Nesiv says, number 22. What, what is this all about? What we say in Shirat Hazinu, on the verse, it says, the rock of all things, his, his, uh, his ways, his actions are straight, his actions are pure. He is a tzaddik, he is, he is just and straight. The Shabbat, the Shabbat, Yashar, who the praise that God is Yashar, Neemar Lahatstik Dinakodesh Baruchu, the Churban Baishay. Says the Nasiv, this was focused specifically on Baishay, on the fact that God destroyed the temple. That was just, it was justified. Shehaya Dor. That's the next line there in the in Hazinu. They were a twisted nation, uh, generation. They were a door ikesh fatal tal. is like something which twists around. There was something. There was something um, perverted in 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 their in their in their priorities. There was something twisted about them. Upirashnu. The way we explain it says that is shahayut sadikim. These people were sadikim, the chasidim, and they were chasidim. They were righteous for only Torah, and they learned Torah night and day. Achloi hayu yisharim b'halichas olamim, but they weren't straight in the way they dealt with other people. Because of, and again, I won't tra- tra- translate it until a, a couple of minutes from now, because of the sinas chinam that was in their hearts and their minds, each to the other, if, if another Jew, which was not according to their particular priorities in the way that they fear God, another Jew is doing it a different way, they accused them, oh, you must be a Sadducee, you must be a heretic. And they ended up killing each other. My son pointed out another piece of the Nitziv to me just a couple of days ago, which I, I hadn't seen, which says it even more strikingly. I didn't put it on the sheet, but it's, it's so punchy. He says in the first generation, they committed They committed the sin of murder. They killed each other in Ahav's generation. Terrible things. In the second temple, they committed Shvichas Damim Beheta. That's the problem. 
They killed people, not because they were doing an Avera. Achav knew that it was wrong to murder people. But you know something? It was part of his political agenda. He doesn't care. The people in the Second Temple thought it was right to murder people. Shvichas dam in Beheta and says the Nitziv, and it was all the shame Shamayim. And that's what made it so much worse. That's why there's a 2000 year Golas that comes from that because Shvichas dam in Beissa, there's a point at which you look at yourself and you feel disgusted. Like there's a, you know, you eat too much chocolate, eventually you'll, you know, be sick. There's a, the, the, the body has a reaction against that. And at a certain point, if you involve yourself in certain lifestyles, you look at yourself in the mirror and saying, like, what am I doing? What is going on here? Whereas if you think you're right, if you think in self-righteousness and, and shame shamayim, you'll never have that feedback. You'll never have that ability to look in the mirror and say, what did I become? Because you'll constantly be reinforcing in your own echo chamber that you're right. Um, and therefore, this was much, much worse. As he says, the third line from the bottom, number 22, all the terrible things that happened until the temple was destroyed. And that's why God was right to destroy the temple. God is straight. And look at these words. God cannot bear tzadikim like He's choosing his words carefully. That tzadikim, at least in their own minds, those kind of tzadikim, are the worst of all. Also in the way they did with each other. Not in a twisted, backwards way. And I don't care if it's L'Shem Shemaim. Even Machlokas L'Shem Shemaim can be um, incredibly destructive, even more destructive, because it's become personal. The Zegor and Churban Habria, the Harisas Yishuvar. Because that destroys everything. And th- this is where I want to try and help you, you know, See what where, where I think the problem is with Sinas Chinam. Everybody, generation after generation, year after year, translates Sinas Chinam as baseless hatred. Okay, baseless hatred, the people destroy each other, baseless hatred. The problem with those translations is that both of the words are mistranslated. Okay, because first of all, sinner doesn't mean hatred, it can mean a feeling of negativity from one person to another. But normally, if you go through it, I've all the sucking today. Um, look at the word sinner through the whole of Tanakh, it almost always means rejection. Uh, Leah, as the wife of Yaakov, was snua. Rachel was Ahuva, and Leah was snua. What would you say in English that he hated her? The word hate is incredibly strong in English. Probably, I look around the room here, many of you will sit around and say, I don't hate anybody. I mean, people use the word like, I, I hate peanuts or something like that, but that's not what they mean. Yeah. Hate means despise, loathe. God forbid that Leah was, was, was hated by Yaakov. That's that you can't argue that on any level from the Pesukim. She was rejected. She felt rejected. She was on a certain level rejected. And that was terrible. It was a very bad thing, but she wasn't hated. She was rejected. Sinner means to reject somebody else to say, you're not, and I'll show you soon um, where that comes out in, in the halacha as well. You're not, you're not, you're not my family. You're not my, uh, you're not my friend. You're not my Jew, my kind of Jew. Sinner is a rejection. Chinam. Chinam doesn't mean baseless. First of all, nobody hates anybody for no reason at all. That's just psychotic. And, and those people need uh, medication and, and help. Okay? Um, chinam means unjustified. Meaning we'll see soon when we talk about this for a minute, that sina, in a sense of rejection, there are things in life that you should reject. There are. You should reject things, people's behavior if their behavior is not appropriate. You should reject raw things which are bad in the world. You should have standards. You should have values. But when you reject people, we'll see this coming out directly, when you reject people, that is sina, rejection, which is not justified, which is not, not acceptable, which is for no valid reason. So if you continue to translate sinat kanam as baseless hatred, we will continue to be in the same pickle that we're in right now. Because every year they say baseless hatred and everyone thinks, well, I don't hate anybody. And I certainly don't hate anyone for no reason. So obviously I'm not part of the problem. It must be her that's part of the problem. And everybody says that. They're not part of the problem because nobody hates anybody. And nobody hates anyone for no reason. But people reject other people unjustifiably. People turn around and say, you're not my kind of Jew. You're not my kind of friend. You're not my kind of, uh, your Avodah Hashem is not the way I, I, I feel you should do it. That is a, a problem which is, which is deeply rooted in the Jewish people. Have a look at number in 23. Uh, the Nitziv says in the Meshiv Dava, he writes a tshuva, one of his tshuvot, he says, as follows, when we used to be in our own land, and remember, this is the beginning of Chibat Sion. This is the beginning of, yes. Wouldn't it 
the, the machlokas is justified, but making Hillel sit like one of the Talmudim is not justified. Putting a sword in the bed midrash is not justified. That's not justified because that becomes personal. That's the point. Once it strays over the line, then it's if it's living at a time where people, the religious Zionism has once again, um, or has emerged, not once again, it emerged after thousands of years, people at the, the, the Talmudim of the Gone started saying, let's go back to Israel. Let's bring back uh, the Jewish people to, to Eretz Israel, to Aretzenu HaKodesh. And the Nitziv was part of that movement. He was, uh, there's a famous story. They brought in one of the first bottles of wine that was uh, made in the Carmel winery. Um, and when it arrived in Velozhin, imagine how far it, tra it traveled in a glass bottle to get to Velozhin. So he, he saw this wine, he ran upstairs, he put on his Shabbos clothes, and he said it was middle of the week, and he said, this is, this is a simcha, wine from, uh, from, uh, from the Holy Land. So he was very much into this. So people were saying, okay, that's going to be our solution. We're going to get back to Eretz Yisrael. So he says, when we were in Eretz Yisrael, we were almost independent. Okay? At the time Eretz that everything went wrong. The land was destroyed. The, 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 the temple was destroyed. And the, the Jewish people were exiled for all of these thousands of years because of the machloikas between the Purushim and the Tzedukim. This terrible, needless rejection of Jews who are the Jew. And because of that, okay, and which was on no circumstances justified. The what happens when one one perush, one of the perushim, one of the people who was had his own particular perushim, were very into Tuma and Tara. So we saw saw Someone else was lenient in a certain thing. This person wasn't a Sadducee. They weren't a going to breakaway sect. The Sadducees really were heretics. They really were people around who were undermining Judaism. But this person wasn't part of that problem. It, it, it wasn't stuffy at all. He was maybe doing an Aveira. Okay, so people do Aveiras. Maybe he was even wrong in the way he was doing it. Because of this needless personal rejection, he would judge them as a stuki. And would say, now that I've decided he's a stuki, he's an Apikairas, I am justified in even pushing him into a ditch. I'm even allowed to take action uh, to destroy this person. This is how all this murder, beheta, he says it here again, but it was all a mistake. Because and I don't even think it's too too hard to uh, to imagine. We see we could this this could happen again in our own times. We see with our very own eyes. He's another Jew who's not doing Judaism the way that they want them to do Judaism. And they call them an apikyrus, they call them a heretic. And they distance from them. And they, and they, and they accuse each other. And they think it's justified. It's all really wrong. It's all, it's all incorrect. The whole of the Jewish people could be destroyed. And then he says these amazing words. This is in the 1850s, 60s. And it wouldn't help if we were back in Eretz Israel. This could even happen in Israel, he says, that people would behave this way. It happened the last time in Israel. Don't think that going to Israel is going to cause to solve all the problems. You'll just take all the problems with you. You've got to solve the problem. And then you can end up creating a society, which is, uh, which is a society without Sinas uh, Chinam. Um, and by the way, I don't want to be one of those people that, uh, you know, looks around and says, oh, how terrible everything is and how over, because I don't think that's true. Baruch Hashem, we live in a society where for the most part, judges don't take bribes as they did, you know, back in the day, and people are judging each other properly, and people are talking to each other. Okay, people are allowed to have hashkafas, that's fine. Judaism was always 12 tribes, it was never one tribe. We always had Ruben and Shimon and Levi and Yehudi and Yisab and Tzvallam. We were never meant to be um, a, a identical to each other. Okay, uniformity is not what we're looking for. Unity is not the same as uniformity, 100%. And therefore, I actually am one of the people who happens to think that the way we're doing it right now is actually not that bad. We can get better, but uh, we, we certainly need to be aware of it and not let it slide. Uh, by the way, I feel that the way it's, it's you know, gone in America is way worse than the way it's gone here. 
in terms of the lack of consensus and the personal hatred, the personal rejection um, that's going on right now in society. I think that um, it could happen here, God forbid, but I don't think it is happening here in that sense. So what is the way forward? So let me just give you a, uh, a, a halachic angle on this, which I think is uh, we can finish on because at the end of the day, we're not meant to be learning Torah, Torah, but this is part of the idea. Sinas Chinam, the idea is uh, there's a mitzvah in the Torah, Look at number 24, look at the, uh, in the Posig here. Do not, do not reject, what we're translating, do not reject another, another Jew in your mind. And the Orachim HaKadosh in number 25 says, how do I know when I'm doing this Avera? How do you know if you slipped into sin? This is Sin Abchina, rejecting another Jew without any justification. How do I know if I've done this? So look at the Orachim. That's why it says, do not reject your brother. This, this is telling you, how do I know when I've crossed the line with rejection, which is right or wrong? Which God is saying, don't cross that line. Is do I relate to this person as a sibling? Is this Jew that I just met that I don't like the way that they act? I don't like the way that they behave. Are they my, are they my brother or sister? This, this means, says the Orachim, uh, this... Uh, this, this, this level of rejection is if a person puts someone out of their mind even a little bit to say you're not my sibling and you've gone down from the level of a sibling Harry who over that is the Issa writer of the minute you look at another Jew and don't feel a sense that you are my brother now people don't always agree with their siblings people don't always like their siblings that's okay but at the end of the day, family is family. You know, to say that you're not my family at all is 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 a thing that a sibling um, could never really say. I mean, I, I, I have no siblings, so I can't really say. So I feel very unqualified. I'm an only child. I'm sorry, but uh, but but from having years of watching people with siblings, and there is something about a family that is always family, even if you don't agree with them. Yes. Yes, justified rejection is rejection of people's behavior. And that is what I brought, which I'm not going to get into now uh, so much at the end. Uh, but Tanya says this, Rav Gora says this in the name of Rav Cook. The idea that um, when I see people behaving badly, the Torah, the Gemara actually says, I'm allowed to have sinner for that behavior if I know that they're a washer and if I know they did it on purpose and if I know that they were warned, which is almost never the case because who knows really what's right and what's wrong these days. But even if I know that they did it on purpose, so then I'm allowed to have sinner, rejection for their behavior. But I still have to have it. I have to reich kamocha for them. And for them. And therefore, sinat chinam is rejection, which becomes person. Yes. A bit louder, sorry. Can you say that you should always distinguish between their behavior? Of course. Of course. And not only that, if we're getting into it in more detail, even the behavior we can't judge most of the time because has this person really had to ha no, do we even have to do it? No. But absolutely that and, and Rav Gorin says that very clearly in number 27 from Rav Kook. Um when Rav Kook is talking about Ahavatrinam talks about he doesn't just mean you know walking around like free love and all that he doesn't really translate in the 20, 21st century he means that, that that i have to have this feeling of of kinship with other jews uh, which they really feel like my siblings let's just finish because we're out of time but let's just go to i mean the, the whole issue of is a whole which i'm not going to give you today because we don't have time in it's but understand that it's part of that whole synagogue is part of that halakhic mechanism of rejecting um, actions never people. Number 29. Let's just finish with this. Um, because as I said, uh, at the end of the day, um, Tisha B'Av is a day of tshuva. It's a day of hope. It's not like, uh, uh, God forbid, uh, the loss of a relative, which is, is impossible to turn around. You can turn it around. If you look in this last statement, number 29, Gemara in Tanis, there says, towards the end of Tanis, right at the end, Simchus Yerushalayim Giluva Kola Haveha Sisu Ita Misais Kol Amitablin Alecha. Okay, the idea that those who are Sisu et Yerushalayim Gilva, song, right? Um, uh, it's all those who mourned for Yerushalayim will be able to have um, sus and simcha for Yerushalayim. Mikan Amro, the rabbi said, anybody who um, mourns for Yerushalayim, Zoche Veroe the Simchata, merits and sees its simcha. Those who don't mourn for Yerushalayim is unable to see its simcha. 
And the Chassan Sofa, Chassan Sofa pointed out, quite famous, that it doesn't say anyone who mourns for Yerushalayim will in the future see its Semcha. It says anyone who mourns for Yerushalayim right now in the present is able to see its Semcha. Because he says that what you want to be is part of the solution right now. That's the whole point. It's the present that matters. And therefore, people that are able to understand what went wrong are able to put that right now and are therefore able to have a sense of nachas and simcha uh, in what they see around them. Uh, and in that sense, not just hope for a great future, but actually um, put into effect an amazing present as well. So Be'ezrat Hashem, we should be able to internalize these ideas and turn Tisha B'Av from a day of Avelis even more into a day of tshuva, which will take us forward to only greater things. Be'ezrat